Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! Hello and welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. The Reds are officially back. Six points and hopefully two centre-backs since we last spoke. Well, at least two. Uh, my name is Luke and I'm joined by James and Paddy. How are we, lads? Not too bad. Yourself? Yes, good. Thank you. And Paddy, how are you doing? Yeah, can't complain now. Been a good 24 hours or so, so can't complain. Yeah, so just as a bit of a disclaimer to listeners who might be listening to this in a couple of days' time, we're recording this on Monday, so on deadline day itself. So anything we do say may be subject to change uh, with all the kind of ins and outs. So we'll see how we go. But I think the only place to start really is the recent results. So two 3-1 wins in, in a row in London against Spurs and West Ham. We're looking a bit back to our best, aren't we, really? Uh, especially in an attacking sense. Yeah, we're not looking too bad, I don't think. <laughs> um, can't really complain. Two teams who are renowned for the defending and, and how well the defenders are unit, getting three goals against both of them and could have got more, um, especially against Tottenham. So can't really complain about how they've stepped it up since the United FA Cup game, that two goals. This goal just seems to have been the catalyst for something else. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, just obviously the, the confidence of scoring twice against United, it just obviously helped score six in two games and the floodgates are after opening like you said last week that that's just what we, exactly what we hoped would happen and it's after happening so it's good to be back. I think one of the kind of most telling things for me as well it's not just the individuals like obviously we've had a great performance from Salah particularly yesterday in the West Ham game and then in the Tottenham game all, all three of the front three were really on form it's more as an attacking cohesive unit which I think was lacking over that Christmas period where we dropped obviously quite a lot of points. I think that's the most pleasing thing for me is that everyone as a system seems to be back in a, back to full form. Yeah, I agree. I think if you look at the Southampton game, Salah looked lost on the right-hand side. He, he just wasn't getting any of the ball. No one was, he was, you know, he was trying to make runs and no one was feeding him the ball. So I think, yeah, like you said, and especially since the United game, everyone just seems to be on sync with each other again. Um, and everyone just seems to be seems to be firing again. I mean, you know, Salah should have been on the score line on on Thursday. His goal yeah. should have stood, and all from free, all all the front three would have been on the score line. So, yeah, and I think there's there's been um, a sort of a clear change in in tactics as such. Because just looking at the numbers, there was 14 crosses against um, against West Ham last night, and there was 40 against Burnley only a few weeks ago. So I think there's obviously been a a message gone out to say right we're going to have to change it up a small bit like just yeah and it's it's working thank god so um all credit to Klopp and, and Pep and the boys so and that instinctiveness in the play seems to be seems to be back as well um maybe not so much the first half yesterday I thought the first half both teams were kind of feeling each other out a little bit obviously we had a lot more possession but West Ham were kind of standing quite firm and it seemed like I think the guy said on commentary whoever it was Gary Neville that Liverpool seems to be taking too many touches, too many passes sideways and forwards, and there wasn't a great deal of movement. But particularly second half yesterday uh, in the in the West Ham fixture, I thought the tempo was better, the passing was crisper, and particularly you see for that second goal, that counter attack is like a Liverpool of a Liverpool we've been used to over the last two or three years from the opposition corner. A fantastic cross by Trent Alexander-Arnold, and then a wonderful ball by Shakiri, and then the Salah touch and finish speaks for itself. Yeah, I think that's what Klopp tried to get embedded in this team from the minute he walked in, was trying to get that the counter-attack 
um, as the strong point, especially with the front three. Um, I think it wasn't so much the, I didn't think it was a slow tempo. I just think they were a bit more patient than what they had been over the last couple of games. You'd seen them, especially against yeah. Burnley, 15 minutes in when things weren't coming off, you could see them, the body language, they were dropping a little bit. And I just think they've, they've shown that patience that they used to show, especially last season and the season before. And I just think that's probably been drilled into them on the training ground. Just be patient. Don't don't let it get to you and the goals will come and the chances will come and it's proved it has. Yeah, it's patience is exactly like there's no point in trying to force a pass that isn't there. Um, you could see with the, the build-up to the third goal, like all the passes in the build-up are 36 or 37 or something like that. So it's obviously just picking the right time to make the right pass rather than forcing one, trying to set Salah or Mane over the top, like forcing it like they have been doing. Yeah. Um, so it's just picking the right moments to play the right pass and simple simple game. Like. And you mentioned there a minute ago, Paddy, about the tactical slight tacticals we can, we've seen a lot less crosses um, particularly in this game I think if you go back a couple of games ago Trent Alexander-Arnold had 19 or 20 crosses just on his own I think that was a Southampton fixture um, there was also a little bit of a tweak formation wise obviously we were without Mane from the start yesterday and without Firmino from the start about Mane altogether sorry and we saw a bit more of a diamond just particularly in the first half with you know Origi alongside Salah Shakiri more in the 10 although he did ground to the left in the second half. Do you think that kind of formation tweak is something we may see a little bit more of going forward rather than, you know, the, tradi- the traditional 4-3-3 that we seem to be usually playing? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to them trying it out in a few more games with, with Mane and Firmino. Um, maybe Firmino dropping a little bit deeper and just having Salah and Mane playing as a forward too. Um, I just think it worked wonders yesterday. I think James Milner was more than happy to bomb up down the left-hand side and allow... Sometimes he was playing left wing and sometimes Robertson was playing left wing. Milner would come in out of that diamond and sort of cover Robertson as he pushed forward. So uh, I think it, everyone looked comfortable playing it as well. Nobody looked out of the depth. I think there was a few times Thiago was sort of caught out a little bit with balls down that his right-hand side. But apart from that, I think they played really well with that new formation. Yeah, because to be honest, it's not much different to the regular 4 3 3 with Firmino dropping back. It's kind of it's close enough to a diamond anyway because Manny and Salah yeah. both tuck in, try to get into the box. So there's not a big change really. Maybe like it might have just been Shakiri was playing false nine and he first time player in there. He wasn't exactly sure where he was meant to be. But um, yeah, no, it, it obviously it helped a lot getting Salah more central and trying to get him on the ball a lot more, like in more dangerous positions. and um, yeah, definitely, definitely. If considering it works so well, there's no point in changing. And I'd just like to pick out a couple of like individual performances. I think yesterday, particularly, and going back to the Tottenham game as well, we'll start with Mo Salah. He's now scored 20 goals for the fourth consecutive season. Is he a little bit underappreciated, do we think, in the Premier League? Obviously, as Liverpool fans, we see him week in, week out. We know what he does. We know how good he is. You just have to look at his numbers over the last three or four years to see what an impact he ha- has on the team. But do you think in this country in general, among football fans, he's not regarded as, you know, in the same way that maybe an Omri is or a Ryan Giggs or or even a Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard? Yeah, I think he's really underrated by rival fans. And I just, I don't understand why. His first season was a freak of a season. He scored the most, indiv- the most goals in a 38-game calendar season. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Ryan Giggs there. I saw a stat before saying that he's only 19 goals behind Ryan Giggs' all-time total already. And he's right. played 400. <laughs> Not bad. 
Yeah, I agree. I think he's really underrated by rival fans. I think he sort of gets the Chelsea time he had there. I think he still sort of gets talked about with that a lot. He wasn't a very good player there. And I think sometimes they use that against him, saying, oh, he's had to go away and then he's had to come back and become the player he is. Um, but it's funny you mentioned gigs though. Um, I saw a stat before that. He's only 19, ga- 19 goals away from uh, Ryan really? Giggs' all-time Premier wow. League record uh, with, I think it's about 431 games less. So yeah. it's not really too bad, is it? <laughs> no. Uh, Giggs didn't play for 40 years or whatever, and it wouldn't be rated as highly as he is. So yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think definitely he's underrated by, obviously, there's a bit of a split in the, in the fan, Liverpool fan base of Mane or Salah, which is completely ridiculous, obviously. But um, definitely by the uh, from the outside looking in, I don't think he is rated half as much as he should be because like his numbers are just outstanding. Like there was the first season was like probably one of the best seasons in Premier League history in terms of individuals, and um, after that he just kept it up. Like he's going to hit 20 Premier League goals again this season. He's on is it 15 now? So like chances are he's going to hit 20, maybe 25. So, like, he should be going down as a, as a legend of the, of the league, Premier League, for sure. Yeah, I think he might be one of those that when, maybe when he retires or if he goes, whenever he leaves Liverpool or goes goes abroad again, he might be looked back on more more fondly than, than he is now. And I think there's so much kind of tribalism in, in football, isn't there, these days, that opposition fans sometimes find it difficult to praise other teams and players for some strange reason. But I guess that's the way that, you know, the whole football Twitter world behaves uh but yeah i think for, for sure he he's i don't think anyone can really take away what he's achieved especially when he's he has won the trophies as well the premier league the champions league and the ind- individual individual awards that go alongside it as well with the golden boots and the pfa award yeah i agree i think uh it's going to be a shame it's whether he moves on if he moves on or like you said when he retires it's going to be a case of you know these are his stats this is what he achieved um, and it's just going to be a case of the Premier League will lose one of its best players in its league. There's you know, the likes of him and De Bruyne and Mane. You know, you don't want to lose those players. And it's only when they leave that you realise how good they are. Yeah, absolutely. The big argument against him is kind of aesthetically, he's not probably the most pleasing. Like he, he is, he does frustrate you at times. Like sometimes we can be on a counter attack, and his first touch be great, and then his second touch is completely lose it and in a dangerous position. Um, and there's obviously the argument that he's greedy as well, which is he does have his greedy moments, but then when you look at it, he's just as creative as anybody in the league, really. So uh, that argument kind of goes out the window. It's just, I think that his touch can be bad at times and it probably lets him down in terms of if somebody was watching a game and they're looking at it and they see if Salah takes this bad touch, they're going to say he's not all he's, he's made up to be. So but I just think you just have to look at the numbers and he's just that sort of player. He's just incredibly efficient. Like, Yeah, and I think as, as well as that, He's one of those players that his greediness can be frustrating at times as a fan, but it's also his biggest strength as well as his biggest weakness. I think sometimes if he's not scored in the game, particularly if Mane or, or Firmino scored, he will just he will just shoot like in whatever position yeah. he is, around in and around the 18-yard box, whether there's players to pass to or not. But like you say, that also goes the other side of it, that his selfishness means that he scores a lot of goals. And so... You know, if he's scoring the amount of goals that he scored, twenty goals in all competitions last four years in a row, for my, for my money, he can he can be as selfish as he wants. 
another player who I'd just like to pick out from the last couple of games is Nat Phillips. So he obviously came on at half-time against Tottenham and played the whole full 90 against West Ham um, yesterday. I just thought he was so composed, so commanding, particularly when you think that in the Tottenham game, he came on and he got booked within the first kind of five minutes that he was on the, on the pitch. And I just think whatever happens in terms of these centre-backs that we're likely to be signing on deadline day, which we'll go on to discuss a bit later on in the show, he's really kind of impressed from, from my side of things. And I'm just wondering where you think his future lies come the summer. Uh, I think his future lies away from the club at the moment, especially with, you know, at the moment, like you say, two centre-backs coming into the club. Then you've got Gomez, Van Dijk, and Matip. Then, you know, he is going to go down the pecking order. But I don't think you could have asked more from him from the last game and a half. I think he's come in and steadied the ship against uh, Tottenham, especially because obviously we take the lead just before half-time and, you know, they're going to start pressing a little bit higher. They're going to start throwing people forward. I think he dealt with that really well. But I was most impressed with how he dealt with um, Michael Antonio yesterday. I think, you know, he's a big, quick lad and he, he didn't get a yard on Phillips. Yeah. He, he went for him stride for stride. He won every aerial battle against him. And I thought it was a really good display. Yeah, he's, he's got a sign for Burnley, isn't it? Like he might as well just stay <laughs> now. He's, although I think he's from Bolton, so maybe not. But um, he <laughs> yeah. actually would. If if a Tarkovsky or me were going to move on from Burnley, I think this should be all over now, Phillips, because he'd suit their game perfectly. Like he'd be a, if this is the 80s or the 90s, he'd be probably seen as one of the better centre-backs in the league. So like just the, the basics of the game, the heading, the clearances, that the tackling, that sort of thing, it's, it's, his, it's, his, um, it's his expert area. So... If, if it wasn't for modern football being a lot more than just heading and tackling, um, if he was able to pass a bit better or run a bit quicker, then, yeah, he'd probably be a top centre half, but it's just missing that, that key element again. Yeah, I think he was quite heavily linked with the move to the Championship come, come the, um, the last transfer window, which obviously was a little bit elongated due to COVID. But then when Van Dyke had his injury, it was kind of a... that was All that was kind of called off. So hopefully for him, he gets... If he does, does leave the club, he probably isn't obviously good enough for the level that we're looking at but we can say you know he's he's played his part well um, when he has been been called upon I think he's done the best you could expect of him same as Reese Williams were really but obviously Williams is significantly younger younger and has got you know a bit more development time on his side while we're discussing centre-backs Jordan Henderson obviously filled in there yesterday again um, another fantastic performance from him he you know, whoever's playing centre-back actually since these injuries has obviously, we've said on here before, been played really well. Fabinho, Nat Phillips and Henderson, they've all performed admirably. And I'm just wondering, in terms of going forward in the future, not further here and now, because we know how important Henderson is in the midfield. This is something that I wrote a piece about actually today, is I'm wondering, maybe in three or four years' time, if Henderson's, you know, when he's getting a little bit older, is centre-back a position that we could perhaps see him playing because it's happened before in the past you think of the likes of Fernandinho from Man City uh, he's filled in there um, so I'm just wondering you know Mascherano at Barcelona is the obvious one as well is that something you could maybe see see him doing? Yeah I think he was especially yesterday he was brilliant against Tottenham he was brilliant again um, I think where he'll match that position really well is is awareness Yeah, I think he hasn't Obviously, if we're talking about three or four years' time, you know, he's going to be in his early 30s. 
So he is going to then start losing that extra yard of pace. But I do think that his awareness of what's going on around him and his range of passing as well from the back yeah, would, be a, would be a big thing. Yeah, no, I agree. I think he's shown the last few games that like, he is basically no training and playing centre-half. So if he was doing it all his life, he'd probably be world-class. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I just think that Henderson, we've seen from the last few games that he's played there that like if he was playing there all his whole career, then he'd probably be a world-class centre-half at this stage because he's doing this, what he's doing now, he's, he's doing it with basically no training there. Like He was he was a right-winger at Sunderland. Like, so yeah. seeing him play centre-half as well as he is, it's just credit to him. Um, I think, yeah, definitely if when his legs go on, probably three or four years' time, he could definitely give a season at centre-back before moving on or, or retiring or whatever it is. So, so he has the, the leadership, the ball play, and he has everything he needs. He's, he's taller than Fernandinho Mascherano as well. So, so that suits him. And another player who I'd just like the final player to pick out is James Milner. I thought against Tottenham and yesterday, he does what exactly you expect James Milner to do. He's functional, he's industrial, he'll run himself into the ground. And just, it was quite amusing when he got subbed yesterday. Uh, for Curtis James, he also came on and set up the first goal. He had a little bit of a, not an argument with Klopp, but I think he was kind of saying, why have you, why have you subbed me? And then obviously we scored immediately after and there was a really nice little moment on the touchline between the two of them where Milner was kind of like, yeah, you're right, boss. You're right to sub me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just a word, on, just a word word from from the, from the both of you on, on how good he's been in the last couple of games. Uh, his experience is just, you can't put a price on it, what, what he brings to the dressing room, what he brings onto that pitch. I think there was a few times, not last season, but the title challenge where we just missed out to City, where Milner wouldn't start, but if we were winning 1-0, we'd bring him on with 20 minutes to go, 15, yeah. 20 minutes to go, just for that leadership and experience on the pitch. Though He was the only one at that time who had won the Premier League in the squad. So you look at it, all these years of experience and the distance in those legs. <laughs> he's, yeah. He was saying uh, yesterday that his debut was back in 2002. So... You know, he's been around the block a while, but I, I just think you can't get rid of him out of that squad. I think he's he, him and Henderson are, are the glue to that Liverpool team. Definitely. Like you could see breaking into the box there, 35 years of age, like like he was 25. Yes. Yeah. Like it looks like he's another four or five years left in him. And um, he's definitely one I'd be trying to keep around as long as possible, even if he does retire. I'd rather see him retire to club and go on to the coaching staff than, than go back to Leeds or whatever has been rumoured about him. So he's just an absolute. An absolute legend of the Premier League again, and he just deserves all the praise he's getting, and deserves the minutes he's getting as well. The last few games, and, and hopefully we see him there again in the next it, few games. It would be nice to see if he can break that that record of the all-time appearance. I'm not actually sure how far off he is Gareth Barry's record, uh, but it would be nice if he could, if, if that is if that is within distance. I'm not don't have the numbers in front of me, but if so, that'd be a nice send off to him, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's quite a bit behind I think but he's yeah it's a pity he went to City and didn't play all those games because he'd be he'd be right up there if it wasn't for I think he could be 100 and something behind I'm not sure oh, okay perhaps not unless he plays till he's like 40 but <laughs> yeah, it's possible <laughs> I won't put it past him uh, just before we move on to the transfer section of the show can we now say that this blip if you want to call it a blip is officially over with these two wins I'd like to think it isn't. I don't want to speak too soon just because we've won two games in a row, but I've seen enough for them over the last two games to say the right back in the title challenge and can go on a run now of seven, eight consecutive wins. Um, I just think the, the tails will be up. They'll be flying now. Confidence will be will be at an all-time high. 
after what's happened over the last the five games without a goal or without a win. So, yeah, I, I like to say the blip's over, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yeah, just hopefully, I mean, we've seen if, if any team in the world is able to put on a, a run of and win 10, 15 games in a row, it's probably this Liverpool team. So, hopefully it's it's over and it's in the past and just get back to winning ways and, and long may continue now at this stage. Now, as I said earlier at the start of the show, at the time of recording, it's deadline day and it looks like the Liverpool are in for a couple of centre-backs, but please forgive us if anything doesn't turn out to be quite right and we sign Upamecano or someone in the last hour of the transfer window. Um, but one move we're pretty sure is going to happen is Ben Davis from Preston. The fee being bandied about is around £2 million for the 25-year-old. A little bit um, out of left field. I don't think anyone of us had his name on our on our minds when we were discussing potential centre-back incomings on the show last week. Um, but what do we think about that? I don't think it's a bad bit of business by the club. I think we're only going to pay them, I think it's at a maximum three million for him. Um, and that's not going to be up front. That's going to be over instalments. Yeah. He's only got six months left on his contract. So that's how we've been able to get the fee down. Um, Sepp van der Berg's gone the other way on loan till the end of the season. So that's good experience for him in a tough division. So all in all, I think, I think it could be a good deal. Yeah, like, you can't go wrong really. It's, the peanuts are paying for him and he's obviously homegrown as well, which is good for in terms of the squad and homegrown quotas and all that sort of thing. Um, he's he's only going to be fourth or fifth choice really for the rest. Like he might leave in the summer, who knows? But if he does stay for next season, he's going to be fourth or fifth choice, good homegrown, like decent quality players. He's able to play a bit as well by all accounts. I'm not going to lie to you and say I've seen every pressing mm-hmm. game this season, but <laughs> by, from what I hear, he's, he's good on the ball and he's quick and, he just seems like a good one, probably one of the better centre halves in the championship. So, yeah, sure. What's what is there to lose, really? Yeah, and I think sometimes there's a little bit of a attitude of maybe turning your nose up or sneering at players who come from the EFL, especially when you're a team like Liverpool, a top six team, a big European team. But you know, you look at the likes of Robertson came from Hull, who had obviously been relegated. Joe Gomez from Charlton. So there's a there's a little bit of kind of history there that shows you that it's not you know it's not a bad thing. Um, and like you said, for that money and given the centre-back situation we find ourselves in, I think it's pretty, you know, pretty much a no-brainer really. Um, I'm not sure how many games we will see him play and that's likely because Ozan Kabak from Schalke, their Turkish centre-half, is also being very heavily linked at time of recording to come to Liverpool. In fact, it's probably pretty much there. The only kind of sticking point um, was whether Schalke could find a replacement, but it looks like Mustafi from Arsenal is going to be that replacement. This one's a loan with no obligation to buy. I think it's an option to buy come the summer. He's obviously 20 years old, so he's quite young. Schalke not doing so well in the Bundesliga. In fact, they're bottom of the league and doing quite poorly. But by all accounts, he's someone that Liverpool have had on their radar for a little while, James. Yeah, there was quite a few links with him in the summer um, when Lovren left. Uh, that we were sort of looking at him. And I think AC Milan were also looking at him at the same time. Um, I think everyone looks at, like like he said, and Paul Merson's been on Sky Sports today saying, you know, is he going to be that good <laughs> because of where Schalke are in the league? But Schalke have been a team that have been in the, were in the Champions League consistently and then have had to sell the best players because they then started to fail to get in there. So yeah. what you're seeing at Schalke is just a load of the, the, the youth pro- uh, prospects come through. And any sort of bargains they could buy. Um, 
So I don't think that's a fair valuation of them for where they are in the league. But you know, from what I've read, like I said, Paddy said with uh, Davis at Preston, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that I've watched every Schalke game this season. But from what you see um, on Twitter and, and match reports, seems to be comfortable with the ball at his feet, and he's only 20, so sounds like another good deal. Yeah, I think the option to buy is a big, big thing as well because if you're looking at an obligation to buy, I think there's 25 million being being um, yeah. towed around. But when you have the option, then like again, there's you're not going to lose anything from the deal. Um, if he comes in and he's great, then fantastic. We have our we have our centre back for the next 10 years, and if he comes in, and he's not great. Then fair enough, go back to Schalke and we'll we'll sign up for McCann or Kanate or or somebody like that. So we've nothing. Well, again, nothing really to lose or unless he comes in. He's absolutely terrible, which surely isn't going to happen. So yeah, good old deal. Now, Kabak isn't the only centre back that Liverpool have been linked with in this window. Um, obviously, we spoke about Ben Davis already. There have also been some links to David Carmo, the Braga centre-half, but I'd like to focus on one deal we know that isn't actually going to happen, which is Dujay Karatelkar from Marseille, the Croatian. You've got to feel a little bit sorry for him, haven't you? Because by all accounts, he was you know, at the airport ready to fly to Merseyside for a, for a move that was in around €20 million, Euros, and at last minute, Marseille have pulled the plug. Yeah, it looked... To- all set to happen. I think this deal looked like it was going to happen more than the Kabach deal. Um, But I think it's Marseille have used the excuse that they haven't been able to get a replacement in quick enough. So that's why they can't let the deal happen. So that's fair enough. They don't really want to lose out on the number one defender if they can't bring anyone in. I know he was supposed to move to West Ham at the beginning of the transfer window, but that didn't happen either. So just looks like it's Marseille have just been a little bit Annoying to negotiate with. Yeah. It's really a pity in one sense that Matip and Fabinho got injured when they did. If it was a week earlier, then Marseille would have had time to get in a replacement for Chileta Care and we could have got him. But um, yeah, like Kavak, he's, he's a good prospect. He's he's only 20, is the only problem I kind of see with it is um, I've, I've not seen every Schalke game, but I've seen a lot more Kavak than I have of um, Davis. So Anytime I've watched him, especially because we were linked to them last summer, I just, you know, you see Schalker playing, you tune in for a few minutes and he looks rash. Like, he looks like every 20, and every 20 year old centre back in Europe, basically. He looks, he looks rash and he looks, um, he has his good physicality and his, his good physical aspects to his game, but he just looks, he looks like a 20 year old playing centre back, which is probably a bit of a worry for in terms of this season. I'm like, no doubt he's going to be a great player in four or five years' time, but. It's going to be interesting to see how he actually goes this season because Kalitakar is four years older and he's he'd probably been more more likely to come in and make an immediate impact. But um, we'll see how it goes. We should know better than to than to doubt Jurgen Klopp and Mike Edwards. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that physicality will be important, particularly with the Premier League. We know that the Premier League's renowned for its you know being physical. Um, and in terms of him, you know, being a, being a little rash, it'll be interesting to see who he's partnered with. Mostly, obviously, Matip got that injury against Tottenham. There's been no time scale on it as yet, but it seems that it wasn't as serious as they first feared. So it'd be interesting to see whether it's kind of Fabinho and Matip would be like your first two or and Kabak as the as the third, or if it's, you know, Matip and Kabak and go with Fabinho back in the field. But I imagine it'll be a combination of all those things, won't it? Yeah, I think it will. I don't think Kabak will be rushed in straight away. I think if you look at the example of Andy Robertson and Fabinho himself were... They were signed and they weren't exactly just thrown into the first team. They sort of had to learn the system before they were allowed to play. Um, 
But it's just it's just a bit funny how Matip's injury was all of a sudden serious. Fabinho mm. was injured, and now Fabinho's going to be okay for next Sunday against City, and Matip's not as serious. So I just wonder if Klopp's worked his magic to try and get two defenders yeah. through the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you'd be a lot more. You'd, be, you'd feel a lot calmer if you're watching Davis and Matip or Davis and Fabinho or Kabak and one of them then. Kabak and Davis coming straight into the team so hopefully the, the injuries aren't as serious as they sound or aren't as serious as the club made out to be but we'll see what happens I, I imagine there'll be a good mixture of partnerships to go yet and assuming obviously these two come in so Davis and Kabak and you know who knows maybe three but it seems like two pretty much for certain as, as certain as you can be on, on the deadline day what does that mean for the summer in terms of centre-backs coming into the club? We've obviously been heavily linked with the Leipzig pair of Upamecano and Kanate. I think before this window, it was pretty much almost certain that we'd go big for one of those, judging by reports from quite well-respected journalists. If this these two deals come in and Davis and Kabak look good and, they, and we do take up the option to bring Kabak in permanently, with Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip, Fabinho will say what to play centre back. Does that mean we don't buy a centre back in the summer? No, I still think they'll go out and make a big, big money centre half signing. I think the Kabak deal just tells you everything you need to know. It, you know, it's no obligation to buy, which means that he's just going to go. You know, regardless of whether if they could get Kanate, then I think they will just completely just throw Kabak back to Schalke and and keep him and. Obviously, Davis, uh, like we said before, will probably go fourth or fifth choice centre back. But I don't think these two signings stop anything from happening in the summer. Yeah, I think unless Kabak comes in and he is world class for the next six months, then I, I agree. I think um, Clare, Kerr, Botman, Nupin, McCann, and Kanati—they're probably the four first choice options from from what we're hearing, and probably from looking at their stats and everything as well, that they are probably four better players than Kabak. Um, so it's just it, it depends on how how Davis and Kabak go for the next few months because the only thing I can think of is maybe Matip might leave in the summer because I think Matip is fantastic and he's probably one of the best, best defenders in the world never mind the league but it's just his availability is just yeah. killer and there's no point in having him there picking up a wage and not playing not playing he might as well have somebody who's um who's who's going to be available to play for us. But yeah, availability is the best ability as they say and when it comes to your centre-half or your defence as a whole, you want a solid back four. A lot of what we've seen success <clears throat> of the success for the last two years has been built on that back four has almost not changed other than Gomez and Matip partnering Van Dijk, hasn't it? So you really need someone there who can play, you know, 75 to 80% of your matches in a season, really, even with the demands that Premier League football and Champions League football bring. Yeah, and Gomez has his tendencies to pick up injuries you know, it's, this is, I think, the second long-term injury he's had in the last three years. So he isn't as available as much as you want. So, um, yeah, I agree. I think they'll they'll obviously want someone who's going to be there full-time to be thrown in whenever they need it and not bit part players who are going to be injured uh, more often than not. So, yeah, I think uh, they'll definitely still make a move in the summer. So next up for Liverpool is Brighton on Wednesday night before that massive clash against Man City at the weekend. They're different tests, aren't they, to the last two games? Obviously, Spurs and West Ham are a little more cautious in their approach. Um, They're more focused around a low block and set pieces and that kind of thing, whereas both Man City and Brighton, albeit at different ends of the table, are predominantly possession-based teams. So what can we really expect from these two fixtures? 
I think the, the Brighton game has the potential to be a really hard game. I don't think the league, the league position does them justice for the style of football they play, especially, I don't watch them quite often, but when they're playing a big team, I'll, I'll watch them. And they do tend to go stride for stride with the mm. bigger sides. They, they don't just change how they play and pass the ball around and all of a sudden start lumping it long. They are a really good side with the ball at the feet. Um, but yeah, different contrast to the last two, like you said, but I think that plays in our hands. Bit yeah. more than obviously the Tottenham and the West Ham games. I don't know if, if you're a big believer next year, if the listeners are a big believer, but if, if, if it was to go by expected points and Brighton would be six this season, so it just kind of shows they're a phenomenal team, really. Graham Potter's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, if Neil Mope could finish, then they'd be in sixth rather than where the 16th, 17th. Um, so they're, they're a really good side, it's just, just finding that killer instinct. And um, we saw when we played them at the Amex that. They gave us an unbelievable game. I know that we were lucky to, or we were unlucky to give away a late penalty, but they also missed a penalty in the middle of the game, which I think some people might forget. I'm not sure. Um, and the possession was 60-40 in our favour, which is which is a, a tight margin in terms of Liverpool. Um, and they actually created more chances than we did. So we're going to be up against it. But I think the, the boys will know, Klopp will know that, right, we, we've seen what happened when we went away to these guys. Let's, let's kind of not let it happen again, so they'll be better prepared for it, I think, for sure. And if we were to win both these games, that would put us within one point of Man City at top. Obviously, Man City have that game in hand, but psychologically, for us and for them, to go from where we were before the Spurs game, you know, potentially dropping out of top four altogether, um, to then going within one point of Man City, that should be a massive boost psychologically, shouldn't it? Yeah, it's going to be massive for this group of players. They've seen most of the teammates, Van Dijk, Joe Gomez, Matip, Thiago, the list goes on of how many players have picked up injuries, Jota, um, all go down injured. And to be within a point of Manchester City, if we, obviously, like you said, if the result goes our way next Sunday, at the beginning of February, I just think that's going to be a match. That, that could be the third signing, because <laughs> it's just <laughs> going to be some just some new confidence to the side and, I think it'll be massive for us. I think as big as a boost beating City would be for us, I think it would it would really kill them. It might train their mentality because we know Liverpool are seen as the mentality monsters or whatever. Or City, they they probably haven't really developed the the champions experience you'd expect from a team that's won so much. Um you could see that last season when they when they go down in games, they're kinda their confidence goes, which you know, if we beat them and we go a point behind them, yeah, they game in hand and whatever, but if, we, if they see that we're only a point behind them and they know that we're coming for them, then you never know what can, could happen to Man City in their dressing room. And it could also go the, like the other way as well, because if Man City were to beat us on the weekend and then they open up, you know, obviously it's a four-point gap at the minute, open up even more of a gap on us, there is, I think Klopp's said it himself in the last kind of week or so, there could be a danger that they go on a run and they just go through the gears. And, you know, like we saw in 2018 when they broke that 100-point margin. So I think Sunday really could be a pivotal game in the title race as a whole if you're not including Manchester United. And I'm more than happy just to not include Manchester United in the title discussion. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, especially with De Bruyne out injured and Aguero's got COVID, I don't know if he'll be ready for, for Sunday. He's definitely not going to be match fixed. He's only just come back from injury himself. So this is probably the perfect time to play them to put a proper challenge down to them and 
I can I always say with Manchester City, it's all about the Champions League for them. If they start going further along in that, do we start to see them take their eyes off the Premier League? That that's another curveball for them as well. Yeah, definitely, and it would suit us as well if they. I'd happily let them win the Champions League if we got another Premier League. Well, I don't know about happily, but <laughs> if we got another Premier League title, then then great, because they do have a really tough um, set of fixtures coming up after us as well. I think they play Spurs, United, Arsenal. They have a really tough runs, so um, yeah, a win would be massive for confidence in both camps. So looking to the Brighton game, because obviously the Man City game is a little bit further away and we know better than any set of supporters anything can can happen in terms of injuries and people not being available. But if we're looking at the Brighton game in terms of selection, do we kind of go with the same 11 that we played against West Ham? Perhaps I'd be tempted to bring Bobby back in for a regig. because I don't think he really impressed yesterday, although he had one or two chances. Um, so I'm not sure if Fabinho, Matip or Mane will make it. There's not really been much talk about them yet because obviously particularly Mane was only a minor muscle strain yesterday but do we you know just kind of save him for City and go with the same team albeit Firmino for Origi? Yeah I, I agree with you there just bring Firmino in for in for Origi. The, I don't see any of the two new centre-backs coming in for that game I think it's too early for them to be thrown into a, a Premier League game I think they'll only get one training session in that's if they yeah. manage to get onto the training pitch tomorrow because um, obviously Kabak's going to have to fly over. Um, so I think he'll, he'll probably go with the same team. It worked, so there's no need to worry and try and tinker with it. And there's no need to rush Matip and Mane back if if you don't need to. Let's try and save them for Sunday and try and get the three points in, in the bigger game. Yeah, no, I'd rather see I'd rather see um, Firmino come in for Shakiri to be honest, than Origi because... I've actually been impressed with Origi. We know he, he has his limitations, but he he puts in it. He puts a shift in. He puts himself around, and he um he's he's better off the left than probably or probably left striker or left winger than Shakiri or Firmino would be. So I'd rather see probably Origi on the left, Firmino false nine or number ten, and and Sal on the right. Yeah, I think for me the thing with Origi is, and he's obviously delivered some massive, massive moments for the club over the years, particularly in the Champions League of that Barcelona game. But I think for me, my main problem is I don't think his work rate matches the rest of the team, particularly a Jurgen Klopp team. Maybe it's just, maybe that's just the way, maybe the way he moves is deceiving. Maybe he is doing more than, more than that than, than meets the eye. Maybe it's like a lazy assumption to make on my part. But I just think that too often he doesn't seem to, you know, break a neck to chase down a ball or, he doesn't start the press really quickly like you'd see from a Firmino or one of the usual front three. And I just feel like maybe it's got to that stage in his career. He's obviously been at Liverpool for, for five or six years now that maybe he needs a bit of a move just to refresh his career in the summer. I don't know if I'm being unfair there. Um, yeah, I agree. I think it's a fair assessment of Origi. I think if you take out the Champions League run, um, that obviously he scored the two goals against Barcelona and the goal in the final against Tottenham. Every season he's had at the club has been the same. It's been bit part, you know, comes off the bench to try and change the game. And it's just sort of the same. I agree with Paddy. Sometimes, you know, some of his first touches yesterday were were unbelievable, the way he was bringing the ball down out of the air. But then it's his second touch, it's his third touch. And I think especially for the one where Thiago plays it into him yesterday, I think, a, you know, a top quality striker puts that away, but he just slides into it and the ball goes the other direction. So... I just think that's what it comes down to with Origi. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. I, I agree in the sense that I don't think he should be starting games for Liverpool, especially not in big Premier League or Champions League games. But I do think 
he's he's about as good as you're going to get for a six choice forward. Like uh, if if Jota's fit and available, then Origi probably doesn't get a minute in the last few games. So I think you're going to do well to find someone as good as Origi who's going to play ninety minutes a season in total. Um, so I I I I hold on to him. He's he's on a he's on a low enough wage and he's happy enough to to play very little minutes. So I keep him around. So just to end on, I think we'll just end on a nice little story that I saw doing the rounds on Twitter earlier this week. It's an interview with Stephen Gerrard. He's obviously doing fantastic things up in Scotland with Rangers at the minute. And he was just talking about the way he left Liverpool. And he has a little slight regret that he didn't stick around for six months or so because he would have then, if he had done that, been part of Klopp's very kind of start of what he's achieved at Liverpool. And he'd have got the chance to obviously play under him. Can we just imagine for a minute Stephen Gerrard and the Jurgen Klopp team? Uh, yeah, it would have been it would have been really interesting to watch because obviously we saw him drop deeper and deeper under Brendan Rodgers and eventually play what they were calling the quarterback role. Um, and it would have been interesting to see him play that with the tempo and the work rate. And would he have played that role or would Klopp have allowed him to push further forward? It just would have been really good to watch. Yeah, I mean, imagine Pete Steven Gerrard and his top team. That would be he'd, he'd probably be the perfect player for for Klopp in the midfield doing everything basically and bringing the high energy but what was he what was he in 2015 what age 34 yeah so he'd have probably been he was obviously playing as a 6 in 13-14 so I don't know I could possibly see him playing centre half that season because I know Lucas mm. played a lot at centre back so Gerrard yeah. could have probably ended up back there if he stayed with Klopp I'm not sure um, then again, Henderson was injured a lot, so he probably would have played six. Um, yeah, it would have been great to see. I, I would have loved to see it and would do his managerial career to work good as well. Fantastic. So that's all for this week, lads. So thank you for your company as ever. There's plenty of content to look out for online with our website, anfieldcentral.co.uk and on Twitter, Anfield, Anfield underscore central. There's plenty going on there as well. Um, we'll be back next week where we'll be discussing the Brighton and Man City games as well as the upcoming match against Leicester. So we'll see you then. Thanks, boys. Cheers. Cheers. See you later.